a special edition of That's So Hindu, the podcast of the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. Today, I'm speaking with Suhag Shukla, HAF Executive Director and Co-Founder, and Samir Kalra, HAF Managing Director, about the dismantling Global Hindutva Conference and the unprecedented mobilization of the Hindu American community around and against it, as well as HAF's response. So for those people coming in late to this, or have been meditating in a cave for the past eight weeks. What was the dismantling global Hindutva conference and why was it so problematic? Uh, I can take a stab at that, Matt. Uh, the dismantling global Hindutva conference was uh, an online three-day event uh, that occurred on the weekend of September 10th through 12th. It was initially touted as a conference that was endorsed or supported by over 40 universities. And the topic at hand was very transparently, not necessarily a critique of policies of the Indian government, but an attack on on Hinduism itself. And after watching uh, the conference for those three days, it was abundantly clear that what our fears were about the conference um, did indeed um, come to fore. What was unprecedented is is two things. First is that to have institutional support behind something that was so one sided and would uh, platform speakers who had long histories of promoting anti Hindu hatred and uh, engaging in Hindu phobic discourse uh, is obviously a concern for the community. Uh, we are a community that values very deeply education. And as, as a parent of a college-aged son, um, it's obviously concerning that when universities shirk their responsibility to uh, promote an environment in which diverse ideas are explored, where students and faculty are encouraged to, uh, you know, inquire, be inquisitive, to uh, look at complex questions uh, for the answers that um, should be equally complex when universities shirk that responsibility by putting their name behind something that's so one-sided, that's so politicized, that's so partisan, it obviously uh, got the community deeply concerned. And as you said, uh, we saw a unprecedented response from the community. I don't think I've seen in 18 years of advocacy, something galvanize uh, the community in the way that this conference did. So what, what were, what, Samir, just one second. So what, what sort of examples of was of the rhetoric coming out of this conference? Can you, can you give some of those? I, because I, we, we put out some materials on that highlighting some of them, but uh, many of the videos to my understanding are actually now removed from YouTube. So people can't go back and, and see it. What, what were some of the more egregious examples of what was said? So maybe I can jump in here for a second. I think I think the first thing is the actual flyer in of itself was an egregious example of anti-Hindu hatred. I mean, you have the violent image of a a hammer uh, basically dismantling or taking out uh, an ostensibly Hindu male wearing orange, a sacred Hindu color, from the ground. You know, using violence to remove this person, dismantling. Uh, you know, as they called it themselves. I think that was a very egregious example from day one in terms of what their intent was. This was not to be a some type of political discourse or academic discourse. This was a propaganda-filled 
um, anti-Hindu conference. And that was revealed very quickly in terms of what the content of the actual conference was. Now, what is notable is that when the concerns were being raised initially prior to the conference, the organizers tried to bend over backwards to say, oh, this is not about Hinduism. This is about Hindutva. But that um, veil was lifted very quickly as the conference um, showed that many speakers said, we're actually talking about Hinduism here. Hinduism and Hindutva are um, you can't separate them. And of course, you know, there's, you know, a separate perhaps podcast or conversation on actually what Hindutva is, but, um, the way that they were using it here was in a very, um, kind of violent, um, you know, fascist, you know, connotation. So they were trying to basically say that there's no difference between Hinduism, violence, fascism, and, uh, uh, nationalism and Hindu supremacy. That was their basic premise. And they were trying to hide behind, you know, the different uh, words and kind of try to do this sleight of hand where you're saying, oh, we're not talking about Hinduism, you know, but look over here, we are talking about Hinduism. Um, and I think some of the things that, that were said was, you know, we can't, you know, and some of the examples you were asking about was, you know, we can't basically get to the future that we want without dismantling Hinduism. I mean, clearly they said that. So it wasn't just about a political ideology and their own, you know, um, uh, terminology. It was about Hinduism. Um, then describing Hinduism as a bigoted casteist religion, um, you know, you know, basically describing Hindus um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a hateful manner. And I think what was also a big piece of this was that there was this Hindu harassment field manual that had been previously created in July, but again, was promoted through this conference. Um, that was clearly very, uh, it was used to describe Hindu students that would identify as being Hindu and be proud of their Hindu identity as being elitist Hindu students or Hindu elitist students, whatever that means. I mean, I don't know what that means. We're a micro minority in this country. Um, you know, uh, and to what extent, you know, you, you can say that that gives us some type of elite status. You know, I have no idea. I'm very confused. Perhaps I'm a little slow too, but, um, you know, that's a separate matter, um, but you know, the kinds of guards garbage that these people are putting in these types of field manuals and the impact it has on Hindu and Indian students on campus. I mean, if you want to oppose that, you're going against the weight of these powerful um, scholars that have, you know, comfortable positions at these universities. There's a power dynamic there. Um, and if you want to challenge that, you know, that type of a field manual or even what these uh, professors say in the classroom, you know, you are basically going to, you know, lose out in terms of your grades. Um, and, you know, it's going to affect, you know, your degree. Um, so it basically is a means to intimidate you know, Hindu students and Indian students or any criticism um, and silence that. Um, and so I think these pieces have to be looked at together, not just with the conference as a standalone, but as part of this long standing pattern of um, how these professors have really been abusing their positions on campuses and how these universities uh, these university departments have been peddling in, you know, anti-Hindu hatred and bigotry. I mean, to be very frank, I mean, I don't know how else you can describe it. If you put in Muslim and replace Hindu with Muslim in these circumstances, I mean, you would have seen the repercussions and rightfully so. Um, and so, but because it's Hindu there, um, I think they felt that they could get away with it. Sure. One criticism of HAF has been 
it, it, it was summed up yesterday and I won't say who, who it was because she's blocked us on Twitter has described HAF not as the Hindu American foundation, but the harassing academics foundation where, yeah. where I, I, it was pretty good. Um, but you know, it's a pretty good reworking of the, of the letters, but as I see it, how are we harassing academics? I mean, it seems, Samir, you, you got at it a little bit about the power imbalance here. Many of these academics are people at some of the most prestigious institutions in the United States. So what, what do you think about that? How, where's the line here between free speech, academic responsibility, and all of, how, how does that all play into it versus HAF being accused of harassing academics? I mean, any notion that HAF is harassing or intimidating academics by standing up for the civil rights of Hindu students and faculty on campus is nothing short of delusional. Um, it is it is coming from uh, individuals largely who hold tenured positions um, that and there's a good reason for tenure. It is supposed to protect academics from uh, from from not having whatever areas that they want to study or theories that they want to promote from being inhibited. And there is the sheer irony is that they are using academic freedom as a cover uh, for promoting hatred. And that's where the line is drawn. Uh, the other challenge here is that going back to the harassment field manual um, or whether we look at some of the things that were said during the conference, I mean, there is such a distortion of facts, facts that have been documented, not by HAF, although we have done a tremendous job in documenting human rights atrocities against Hindus and other minorities um, in South Asia and throughout the world, but by other independent bodies, by governments, by the media. And there's, I can't see it as anything other than maybe an intoxication of the type of power that the academy gives through tenure, um, as well as a, a tyranny of certainty in, in the ideological stances that uh, these scholar activists, self-described at, at that, uh, whole, espouse and hold on to, that they would see uh, anything coming from a micro minority standing up um, for its rights on, that are guaranteed under not just the U.S. Constitution, but under federal and state law as intimidating. I mean, that's like calling a whistleblower someone who's intimidating. It is um, it is such a um, gross example of spin and inaccurate spin at that. You, you got at it a little bit there mentioning uh federal and state law. Earlier this week, HAF filed a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights to investigate the University of Pennsylvania for its role in, I believe it was a co-sponsoring institution of the conference. And the complaint is under Title VI. For I didn't know about Title VI or the details of this until we did this. Um, what is Title VI and, and what has HAF done? Why University of Pennsylvania? Do you want to take that, Smear? Sure, sure. I'll jump in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Title VI, there are two specific um, acts that we filed this, this complaint under. There is the Civil Rights Act of 1964. 
um, in Title VI of that act. And then there's Title VI of the Higher Education and Opportunity Act. Um, for the most part, they're, they're similar in terms of the types of protections and the behavior that they prohibit, although they're slightly different. Um, but in essence, Title VI prohibits uh, discrimination in the programs and activities of a university or another body receiving fun federal funding. Um, in this case, it's obviously for universities and departments within those universities and faculty as well, um, because these are activities being carried out by them and they are have received federal funding as well. So it basically um, is saying that, you know, if, you know, there's discrimination through a hostile environment that's created on campus for students and faculty, or there's, uh, you know, there is some difference in the benefits or uh, there's some actions that are being taken um, against uh, students or others uh, because of certain protected categories such as race, ethnicity, um, et cetera, you know, then there's a violation of Title VI. Uh, so what we are saying here is in particular that there was a hostile environment that's been created uh, because of not just this conference, which peddled in anti-Hindu hatred and bigotry, but also, again, what happened with this harassment field manual um, and what it did to Hindu students and the type of environment, the hostile environment it created. And this was also in the context of a, lar a larger pattern of, of, um, of harassment and discrimination. And we focused in on one university to start with, uh, University of Pennsylvania, because um, it's our belief that they were at the center of a lot of the activities that happened both at the conference as well as this harassment field manual and beyond that, um, their South Asia Studies Department in particular has been a real focal point for some of this anti-Hindu activity. Um, and so, you know, because they played such a big part in it, um, we felt that University of Pennsylvania was, um, you know, was necessary to really try to hold them accountable um, for their actions and, and file a complaint with the Department of Education Civil Rights Office to ask them to investigate um, whether in fact they have violated these, uh, this institution has violated Title VI and uh, discriminated against Indian and Hindu students. So, if they have violated this, what what could be the outcome from them, and what what's the what are the asks from HAF? It, you know, the outcomes can be different. I just want to add um, one thing that you know, as I said before, uh, this particular issue has. Um, elicited an unprecedented um, response from the community. It resulted in close to a million messages being sent um, to over a hundred university administrators. And one of the things that came through in the communication with universities was at least um, one, if not more universities saying, well, no, this is about academic freedom. We know that this, um, this event uh, was planned by professors at the University of Pennsylvania. So I think that that's an important detail that we hope that the, the Department of Education will look at seriously. This is not just conjecture. Uh, the other the other issue is, you know, Samir did point out um, some of the scholarship that we know has come out of South Asia studies at the University of Pennsylvania. But the U.S. government under that Higher Education Opportunity Act uh, designates certain centers 
as federally, uh, I don't want to maybe the endorsed is not necessarily um, the right word. Maybe it is. Um, but certain centers that are recognized as having kind of the imprimatur of the federal government. So the South Asia Center at the University of Florida is I'm sorry, the University of Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, not my alma mater. The University of Pennsylvania is um, is a um, what's known as a national uh, resource center. So I think that also uh, made the actions um, particularly egregious in that um, that the University of Pennsylvania South Asia Center has um, enjoyed this kind of privilege of uh, being a recipient of hard earned American taxpayer dollars. The other thing is that the harassment manual, uh, and all of this is very interwoven. The harassment manual came out in July of, of this year. And as Samir said, brings up these ideas of, you know, hey, if you are a Muslim, an LGBT or a feminist or other South Asian student, be careful. You might be in danger by Hindu students who espouse, quote unquote, elite Hindu centric ideas with absolutely no definition of what that means. Um, and so you have this guide that comes out in July. Then you have a conference that's announced supposedly separately, except that one of the four main resources that it promotes is the harassment manual. The harassment manual then promotes for those students who might be fearful of these, you know, dangerous, violent, uh, Hindu students on campus espousing elite Hindu centric ideas that they can join a student group called Students Against Hindutva Ideology. This organization, in turn, has an advisor who's an author of, take a guess, the harassment field manual. And, and then the, the conference website also showcases uh, the Students Against Hindu Ideology as, I think, a resource or some sort of letter of support that's coming from them. So it's all very incestuous. Uh, and so these are these are what we saw as a pattern of um, hostility being promoted at not just the University of Pennsylvania, but several others. But University of Pennsylvania, we believe, is ground zero of all of this, um, at least of the conference. So that's um, just adding on to what Samir said in terms of, you know, what comes out of an investigation. We know that the Department of Education has investigated other um, incidents similar to this, that this is the first time that uh, such a conference has occurred uh, of this level um, that targets the Hindu community, but certainly the Jewish community has seen um, conferences like these dealing with Israel and Palestine, which is obviously a very complex issue with many, many different um, opinions and perspectives on on the history of of the situation, as well as the solutions um, for the region. But these conferences very often promote and veer into anti-Semitism. So the Department of Education has investigated conferences like that or activism like that or activities like that. And uh, what the Department of Education has in the past uh, come up with are resolutions or agreements with universities to ensure that one, they commit to open inquiry, viewpoint diversity and constructive engagement with diverging perspectives. 
that they publicly condemn any sorts of negative stereotypes or slurs or distorted facts that are coming out about, you know, a protected class in this case, um, Hindus and Indians um, or students of students and faculty of Indian descent um, or South Asian descent and who are Hindu. Um, also, because the manual, as well as the speakers at the conference, as well as a number of other resources that were promoted throughout this entire um, episode, deny the very existence of Hindu phobia. We think it's important that the university acknowledge the existence of Hindu phobia. Uh, Samir has been, you know, the lead on so much of our work that uh, monitors human rights atrocities. Uh, we have documented ethnic, ethno-religious cleansings and genocides of Hindus. So to deny that is academically dishonest. So we would like to see some, you know, the Department of Education push for something like that. Um, I think that there's a real need for mandatory training on rights and responsibilities under both Title VI's, under the Civil Rights Act, as well as the Higher Education Opportunity Act. And there needs to be greater oversight, whether that comes from the government or whether it comes from University of Pennsylvania's uh, administration. Uh, those things are, are important. And also then letting students on campus, specifically um, students of Indian and Hindus, Hindu descent, South Asian students, know what um, what tools are available for them, what avenues are uh, available to them if they are facing any sort of harassment or hostility, whether it's um, from other students or from faculty. Um, and we know firsthand we've not necessarily um, only from the University of Pennsylvania, but over the years, we've been hearing from students who want to write a particular essay or frame their answer to a question um, from a way that they believe takes into account all of the facts of, of a particular situation or about Hinduism and how they are oftentimes penalized or feel pressured to answer their question a certain way so as to not jeopardize their grades. That cannot be tolerated. It is not something that university administrators should sit silently in the face of. So those are just, you know, some of the things that we know the Department of Education in similar situations have pursued. And we hope that they would do that for this particular situation as well. Just really quickly to add on to that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in terms of the remedies, um, I think an important point to emphasize is the University of Pennsylvania was alerted to this several times in both direct communications from the Hindu American Foundation, as well as from thousands of Hindu Americans. And they had an opportunity to act and they did not. Now, nobody was asking for them to stop the conference or to shut it down but they could have easily distanced themselves from it and put out a statement condemning Hinduphobia and condemning any statements that came out from their faculty or their South Asia studies department or any act activities and say that this is not consistent with our uh, policies at the university. We don't um, you know, support or endorse uh, such statements or activities. Um, you know, They're still free to hold a conference, but we do not support that and we do not support this type of Hinduphobia. 
So they were put on notice. And I think it makes it more egregious um, in that they were alerted to it and they still failed to act. Um, and I think that touches on some of our remedies now is getting them to actually acknowledge that publicly. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly go back to was this idea of harassment um, and academic freedom. I mean, it, it's it's to me, it's very ironic that academics hide behind the guise of academic freedom to do whatever they want to do. As soon as they're challenged, though, then there's no freedom for anybody else to challenge or counter them. That suddenly becomes harassment. Um, so it's it's very easy for them to say, oh, yes, we support academic freedom and this such and such group or somebody else is shutting it down. But they're only doing it when it suits their purposes and when they don't want to be challenged or they don't want to engage in an actual dialogue or debate on the merits or the substance of what they're saying. Um, and so, you know, it's easy to point to this idea of harassment. And yeah, you can say, yeah, you know what? Everybody gets trolled these days. You know, we've gotten trolled. Um, we're not saying now, okay, well, nobody can challenge us or nobody can challenge what we're saying, but that's what they're doing. They're saying that, okay, they're getting trolled. Therefore, that's the H the Hindu American Foundation is a responsible for it, and B that means that nobody should criticize us or challenge us because we may get trolled by some other third party or individuals or bots somewhere else living in the in the Ethernet world out there. Or, you know, uh, you know. So I, I think this kind of line of argumentation is both illogical as well as ridiculous. Um, and so I just wanted to add that this whole idea of academic freedom, it's such a straw man argument that they make. Um, and it's kind of uh, a little annoying at this point. They, they continue to be able to hide behind it. Sure. To go back to one point, University of Pennsylvania never responded to any direct outreach, but other universities did. If I recall, there were something close to 40 institutions originally listed. And then I, I don't have at the tip of my tongue how many were the final, uh, the final co-sponsoring co institutions, but a number did clarify their positions. And that, 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 that's pretty telling to me. Is there any indication that you've seen about why University of Pennsylvania ignored all of the concern that was expressed to them? Uh, it, it's it's hard to say, uh, you know, we know from other universities also that because of this unprecedented response, servers crashed, uh, not just on their end. And I don't know if that happened at the University of Pennsylvania, but I know it happened at other universities as well as our end. Our own system uh, could not take uh, the number of emails that were going out through the system. And so we you know, midway through a campaign, actually just 24 hours in, switched to um, a petition. So why they would ignore it? I don't know. You know, this is what's happening right now to the Hindu community is kind of a South Asian flavor of a larger issue in the academy when it comes to scholar activism, where certainly scholars have a individual right to uh, engage in political activity. But I think that there's there's a bright line where your activism then inhibits your ability to encourage open inquiry, to support viewpoint diversity, when it begins to create a hostile environment 
for your own students and you begin shirking your responsibility, which number one, first and foremost, is to be an educator, you are absolutely undermining the very purpose of a liberal education. So this is not something it, it is largely concentrated in the humanities, um, in gender studies, in in um, history, uh, but we're seeing it creep into the sciences as well. So, you know, whether they were not able to recognize this because we know that the University of Pennsylvania has, you know, several years ago did come out with a with a statement against some of the anti-Israel um, boycott, divest, divest sanction activism that was occurring on campuses, literally to the extent where universities in Israel were being banned and where students who wanted to pursue fellowship or study abroad programs were um, not able to as a result of uh, professors perhaps not encouraging them to or not even writing uh, letters of recommendation for them or or just saying that, hey, these universities are going to be off limits. So we know that the University of Pennsylvania has done the right thing in the past, uh, but perhaps the complexity or the unfamiliarity that people have uh, with, say, India or South Asia broadly in terms of the history and, and the context with Hinduism, certainly we know that you know, the vast majority of Americans know little, if anything, about Hinduism. And what they do know is very often stereotyped uh, narratives or or in, inaccurate uh, facts and uh, narratives about Hinduism. So, you know, could that be part of it? Possibly. I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt uh, because I'm here based in Philadelphia and I want this institution to be a positive institution. I know that it's a dream school for so many Hindu American students. So if it's a dream school for Hindu American students, I want it to be a place that's going to provide psychological safety. Um, I have many friends who work at the University of Pennsylvania who are of Indian descent and Hindu. I want to know that if they espouse views that are different from these very vocal um, and bullying type uh, scholar activists that they're not going to be censored, that they're not going to face uh, retaliation. So why the University of Pennsylvania might have ignored, they should have, they should answer that. And, and hopefully the Department of Education will be able to get them to answer that question. Great. I have two more things. One, which piggybacks on something you just said, Suhag, at that University of Pennsylvania and many of the other sponsoring and associated institutions with this conference are dream schools for many, many people, regardless of who you are. They're prestigious institutions. What do you think, what recommendations do you have, you or Samir, for parents who want to, whose kids are, want to attend these schools? What, what, what can they do to make sure or to vet through these schools? So, Hog, since you have uh, more recent college-age kids, you can start there. Um, I will be the older parent here uh, because I am. Uh, but uh, so a couple of things. I think as parents, uh, we need to have open lines of communication with our children and spend time together learning about uh Indian history uh, and exploring questions about Hinduism and what Hindu teachings mean in practice and in, in um, you know, daily life. And also having open conversations about what students might face 
in college, not just in college, actually in elementary school and, and high school, where you are going to be faced with narratives that um, are disconnected with how we as Hindus um, see uh, the world, how we deal with, um, you know, ethical and moral issue questions, um, you know, on the foundation of Hindu ethical values. And so have those conversations and, and prepare your children to be ready for this sort of thing. If you are an engineering student or you're pre-med and don't necessarily um, need to take a humanities course, then make, make that decision with wide um, eyes wide open. If you are going to pursue humanities, also make that decision with your eyes wide open. Are you research the, the teachers that are in these departments and see if you can find one, read their scholarship to see, is this a, a professor who is going to respect my individual beliefs, my ideas, my perspectives, or the areas that I want to pursue um, for academic study. And so go in prepared. And, uh, and also, if, if the time comes and you're willing to sacrifice a grade, be ready to do that as well. Um, and know what uh, protections your university offers. Which uh, office would you go to if you're having a problem with a faculty member who is penalizing you because of your ideas and not necessarily the quality of your scholarship and pursue those complaints? I know that college students have a lot on their plates and sometimes you want to just keep your head down because, you know, your ultimate goal is uh, law school or business school or whatever it might be. Uh, but these are things I would say that are investments and possible sacrifices for your younger brothers and sisters or your your cousins or your friends. So until we begin speaking up, you know, HAF does that from the outside um, and we do it as parents of college age children. But um, other parents can do the same. But until students start speaking up and they are they are speaking up, uh, it do it in, in collective numbers. If it's too hard to do it by yourself find a champion. Oftentimes you have to go out of those departments and identify other professors in other divisions who might be able to provide you the type of support that you require and find other students who are going to support you. Samir, maybe a last question for you. What's next? What can listeners do to either to, to raise these issues with universities, either specifically on this campaign around the University of Pennsylvania or on the issue of Hindu phobia and academic challenges more broadly? Sure. Uh, so I think, you know, one of the things just to go back to just uh, uh, picking up where Suhag left off, I think the other thing is examining the support systems that are already in place at these universities in terms of do they have a strong Hindu chaplain there? Mm -hmm. um, are there good Hindu organizations on campus that they can also, um, you know, kind of get some support from? And are those places already, do those you know, support systems already exist in the university. Um, so I think that's also helpful in dealing with some of those issues. Uh, coming to this other question in terms of what comes next and what can um, parents and students alike do. I think one thing is that, um, so for those parents that are, whose students 
children are going to be going to universities. I think these are things that they can start looking into now and having these conversations with now with their children and with the university admissions offices and other offices on campus. Um, I think it's, you know, you ha- you're going to be paying, you know, a lot of money to these universities. As a parent, you have every right to ask these questions ahead of time and understand what type of environment your children are going to be going into. And we don't want to teach our children not to go into these environments or to walk away from them. Rather, we want to prepare them and we want to make sure that the universities are uh, prepared to handle these types of issues. So I I think having these conversations now, I think sharing our resources um, with these universities, um, parents can do that both of perspective um, for, for prospective students as well as current students, um, you know, having these conversations, sharing the resources, sharing what's going on. Um, I think also helping to connect, um, you know, students with other student organizations, not just from the Hindu community, but other communities that may be dealing with some of these similar issues as Suhag alluded to earlier. These are not only limited to the Hindu American community. These are things that are affecting students in general. I mean, we see that there is a growing atmosphere of where you cannot have, you know, constructive dialogue or disagreement. Um, and, and students sometimes just don't feel comfortable expressing their own viewpoints, whether political, religious, um, cultural or so or social because of, you know, what that, you know, at, uh, university, what the atmosphere may be like on that university. So I think, you know, finding, um, you know, uh, other outlets in those universities, seeing are there other student organizations, other student groups um, outside of the community that have dealt with these types of issues and trying to help connect them. And that's something that HEF can help do as well. Um, we've been in a lot of conversations with the Jewish organizations recently about some of these common challenges um, and hope to kind of ha- have some joint programming going forward, which I think can be helpful to both parents and students um, alike. I'll also just plug our Dharma Ambassadors and Dharma Advocates programs. Uh, Dharma Ambassadors is a program that equips anyone who attends with the the kind of speaking skills um, or at least the words uh, of how to talk about Hinduism to non-Hindu audiences, whether that's you know, just at the water cooler at work or with a friend at school um, or a colleague or a neighbor, uh, the Dharma Ambassadors program has been, you know, tremendously popular and people really come out of it feeling empowered that they now have at least some best practices and some tools in order to oftentimes describe some very complex topics. And sometimes it's kind of like, well, we know it when we see it, but how do you talk about our values and our, and our teachings um, to people who are not familiar with them at all? So that's one program. The Dharma Advocates program uh, teaches participants about how to navigate different policy spaces and how you can advocate for issues that are impacting our community. And while it's largely focused on local and state and federal government, a lot of those kind of processes are translatable to college campuses because college campuses have student councils, college campuses have student government, um, college campuses have administrators and different bodies through which you can um, advocate for your um, for your well-being and, and to protect against a violation of, of your rights. So those two programs, and we're also um, in the process of planning some know your rights type seminars so that we can better empower our community so that they know what are the protections that they're guaranteed um, under 
federal and state law, as well as what are their obligations, uh, because it's equally important to know both our rights and our responsibilities. Yeah, the last thing I would just quickly add there is I think let us know if things are going on for parents and students. Reach out to us, um, you know, because we may be able to provide support in specific situations and raise those issues directly with the university. Or if not, at least connect a student or parent to other resources that we know of that may be able to assist in that situation. Um, so we need to gather more information um, when this is occurring, even if a student or parent doesn't necessarily feel comfortable raising it themselves at the university level, you know, they can always come to us um, and, you know, we can help provide guidance um, or provide support in whatever way possible. Great. Um, for people listening, um, all the information on those programs Suhag mentioned is at our website, www.hinduamerican.org. And if people want to reach out with um, questions or anything, you want to talk about anything we, we've discussed, uh, info at hinduamerican.org. Um, I think we've covered just about everything, but if there are anything that we, any other issues you want to bring up, any final words, Suhag, Samir? Uh, I mean, just maybe a, a big thanks to uh, all of the people who took time uh, to take action. You know, we had our action alerts up for, you know, just a couple of days. And um, but beyond the action alerts, I have received so many emails from alumni and parents who are writing their own letters um, that were probably a lot more passionate than, than our letter was. Uh, but it, it was an important step. And um, I think that this should be as we are able to look back at this, um, really take some lessons on the power of collective action. And um, it could not have happened without so many people in the community um, stepping up and speaking out. Great. Samir? Yeah, absolutely. And there were a lot of organizations and leaders that did a great job as well. And um, I think, you know, while we all have different approaches, we all have the same goals. And that's for the best interests of the Hindu American community. Um, so big thanks to all the organizations um, at the grassroots level across the country that have taken action on this issue. The other thing I would say, and maybe this is the last word here, I'll take the I'll take the <laughs> uh, the right for that. But um, I, I think this is a, a challenging situation or a challenging time period. But I think it is also a great opportunity um, that we've seen the collective um, power of the, of the community and what can be accomplished. And um, I think it's really getting people, you know, firsthand experience at advocacy at the individual or collective level. And I think when we look back maybe five, 10 years from now, I think we're going to look back at this as a seminal moment in our um, growth and our you know, evolution in this country um, as a community and where we're going. Um, and so I think this is it's a challenging time for sure. But I think it's it's, it's an important opportunity that um, the community is going to learn from and we're going to position ourselves better to take on these challenges in the future and be in a much stronger position going forward well that's it for this episode of that's so hindu if you enjoyed it please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review it's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners you can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to haf at www.indoamerican.org donate